You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. A lot of the blood, the gore, people dying, children dying, and some people don't understand that. God uses Israel to bring judgment on godless nations and peoples that will not submit to him, that will not repent. And when they refuse to repent, after years and years and years, the ultimate end of people like that is judgment. Hey, it is what it is. That's what the Bible teaches. Many of us have probably heard the common argument against the Bible that God ordains genocide and mass murder. More often than not, these arguments are based off of Israel's conquest for the Promised Land, in which God commanded them to destroy the Canaanites. However, as Pastor Danny teaches us in today's message, this was God's judgment against an unrepentant people. In our study, we learn that while this might seem harsh, God's patience towards those who refuse to repent has a limit. Now here's Pastor Danny in Joshua chapter 10 with part one of his message, The Sword of the Lord. Gibeonites, they are Amorites, have deceived Israel into making a peace treaty with them. And the other peoples of the land, also referred to at times as Amorites, well, they're ticked at the Gibeonites because they've made peace with the enemy. So five kings join forces and come against the Gibeonites. And so what do the Gibeonites do? The Gibeonites reach out to their new allies, the people of Israel. They send a message to Joshua. Let them know what's happening. Our own people are coming against us because we made a peace treaty with you. Come and help us. And so chapter 10, verse 7, so Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Now stop there for a minute. I don't know if you've noticed how often in the Bible, God encourages his people. Encourages. He looks to give them courage. Why? Because the Christian life is not for pansies. It takes courage. There's a real enemy. And so again, he encourages them. Don't be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Verse 9, after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. 
Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Ezekiah and Makeda. Now, we aren't familiar with the geography, but it'd probably be like saying, man, we beat them up all the way down to Fort Myers. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Ezekiel, get this, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Really? You're that quiet? When you got God on your side, man, you got a secret weapon. Just a little note, and for those of you taking notes, Job chapter 38. Let me just read it quickly, verses 22 and 23. The Lord says, Have you entered the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? He's talking about days of war and battle where he's going to use hailstones against our enemies. When you get to the end of time as we know it, in Revelation chapter 16, verse 21, in that period known as the great tribulation, let me read one of the things that's going to happen. From the sky, huge hailstones of about 100 pounds each. I don't care how tough you are, that one ball hits you, you're done. Of about 100 pounds each fell upon men, and they cursed God on account of the hail. Why? Because they're his enemies. These are people who have refused to repent. Now, this is a good spot to remind us that when reading stories like we're in in Joshua right now, a lot of the blood, the gore, people dying, children dying, and some people don't understand that. God uses Israel to bring judgment on godless nations and peoples that will not submit to him, that will not repent. And when they refuse to repent, after years and years and years, the ultimate end of people like that is judgment. Hey, it is what it is. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, I believe children until whatever the age of accountability is. Some people believe it's puberty. Some people believe teenage years, whatever. I don't know what the age of accountability is, but uh, it's clear to me that until a child reaches the age of accountability, Whatever that age is, that's, I don't know for sure. They go to be with the Lord. David and Bathsheba's child born in sin. When the child died, David said, he will not return to me, but I will go to him. So I don't want you to get off and think, well, he said sometimes children die in there. Are they going to hell? I, I don't believe that at all. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. But the main point is, people's that ultimately reject the grace and mercy of God are going to face judgment. And God used the nation of Israel to bring the judgment in this time, in this day. Now, don't let that surprise you. God even used godless nations against Israel when Israel turned away from their God. He used nations like Babylon. So I just wanted to make that point clear. Judgment. And God's using the nation of Israel to bring the judgment. Chapter 10, verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O son, stand still over Gibeon 
O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So, get this now, the sun stood still and the moon stopped. Supernatural. Till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There's never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Now notice this last statement. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel, exclamation point. The message there is clear. God's going to do whatever is necessary to give us victory, even if it means stopping the sun, stopping the moon. The Lord wants to fight for you. Every single one of us that know Christ, the Lord wants to fight for us. It's a real battle. Something very significant happened back in Joshua chapter 5 before Israel goes to battle, the first stop in the land of promise, Jericho. Remember what that was? Good. I'll remind you. Go back. Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I've now come. This is the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord is Christ. And Christ is the commander of the army of the Lord. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. Only time that happens in the Bible is when God is present. And so he took off his sandals. Now, if you remember that, you remember about that time I was given a gift. And I love this thing. Christ comes out, commander of the Lord's army, and what he's basically saying to Joshua is, whose side are you on? Even to Joshua, Joshua would have to make daily decisions whose side he was on. The Lord wants to fight for us. But the only way he can fight for us is if we make those daily decisions that I'm going to be on the Lord's side. And even someone who really knows Christ can make a decision and have the Lord against them and not for them. By the time we get to the book of Judges, Israel, one by one, and then as a nation, will make poor decisions, ultimately leaving their commitment to their God and beginning to worship the gods of the nations that he was driving out before them in the land of promise. And the culmination of that, I'll read it very quickly, Joshua 2, or Judges 2.15, whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. The Lord wants to fight for you, for me. But it's up to me to make the daily decision whose side I'm on. 
And the only time the Lord can fight for me is when I make that decision to submit to the commander of the Lord's army. Whose side are you on is what Joshua was being asked. Joshua said, are you on? Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither. Whose side are you on? That's the question. Now, defeat can range from simple loss of blessing to death, even in the church. 1 Corinthians, Paul says, some of you, when you come together and take the Lord's uh, Supper, you're not recognizing the body and blood of the Lord. Some of you are weak and sick as a result of not submitting to the commander of the Lord's army. Some of you are weak and sick, and some of you have fallen asleep. God actually said, that's enough for some of his own people, and he took them home. I believe I know some people in the history of the church I've pastored, the people I've pastored, that have been taken home prematurely because they walked away, they continued in rebellion as Christians, and God finally said, that's it. You go to places like that little Old Testament book of Haggai. You're welcome to thumb your way there. My new Bible, it'll take me a couple of moments. You know how that goes. You can find it in your old Bible. And then you're in your new Bible, and you know what? I know it was there before. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. Haggai situated right between. Haggai, chapter 1, verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. What's happening here? Their priorities were misplaced, and instead of putting the Lord and the work of the Lord first, and what was happening here is the rebuilding of the temple And because of opposition, these people said, well, it's not time now. And I said, wait a minute. Opposition shouldn't keep you from doing what you should do. And they got their priorities wrong. And so what happened, practically speaking, is the paycheck they brought home didn't go as far as they expected it to go because God is sovereignly orchestrating things so that the air conditioner breaks or the car breaks. Or there's an unexpected bill that comes. And because they're not honoring the Lord, they're losing the blessing of the Lord. In short, God is not fighting for them. He's fighting against them to try to teach them that their priorities are wrong. You read on. Because my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. You go back to Achan. Achan needed to honor the Lord with the first fruits of Jericho, and if he had, he could have had the riches of Ai. But because he failed in honoring the Lord with the first fruits of Jericho and kept his sin hidden... He found the Lord fighting against him. Instead of being blessed by God, he lost the blessing of God. You go to another little Old Testament book, 
Amos, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, right in that section. Amos chapter 4. And listen what the Lord says beginning in verse 6. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you've not returned to me. See, when God brings the discipline, his purpose is to turn us around that we might turn back to him, make him the priority, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Why? Because he wants to bless us again. But he can't bless us if he's not first. Verse 7, I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none, and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. But you've not returned to me. In other words, I did that. I withheld my blessing to try to get you to repent, to get your attention. But watch what happens here. It goes from simple loss of financial material blessing, and it gets more severe. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards. I struck them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees. Yet you've not returned to me, declares the Lord. Verse 10, I sent plagues among you. That's when all of a sudden you get physical illness. First Corinthians, some of you are weak and sick. As I did to Egypt, I killed you young men. Sometimes there was tragedy, people dying. I killed you young men with the sword along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps. Yet you've not returned to me. And then it gets really severe. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, which tells me you're saved, but you're living like the world. Yet you've not returned to me. And then the final is verse 12. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God. I mean, that's just as clear as the nose on my face. And I got a very clear nose. Is God fighting for you or is God fighting against you? Numbers chapter 22 is one of my favorite Old Testament stories. I've taught on it many times. I've read it through many, many times. And you can't read a story like Numbers chapter 22 and not know that God has a sense of humor. I mean, it goes like this. Balaam got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, went with the princes of Moab. who They've come to hire him to put a curse on Israel. But God was very angry when he went because God initially said, don't go with them. Well, he goes with them and God's angry. And the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Now, you might know that story, but let me just summarize it. Here's the angel of the Lord again with a sword. Here comes Balaam riding on his donkey and here's Christ, Christ there with the drawn sword. But Balaam has no spiritual sight. The donkey has more spiritual sight than Balaam. And the donkey sees the angel of the Lord with the sword and so tries to save her life and Balaam's life. Three times he beats his donkey. And then finally, the Lord opens the donkey's mouth to speak like a human being. Don't know if it was a female donkey or a male donkey. I don't know if it was why are you beating me like this? 
Or, why are you beating me like this? You know, but the donkey begins to speak. And Balaam begins to have a conversation with his donkey. The donkey says, have I been in the habit of doing this to you all the time? You've ridden me. And he starts to think. And he says, well, as a matter of fact, you haven't. And right here, the section, the angel of the Lord finally, Balaam's eyes are open. He sees the angel of the Lord. And the angel, verse 32, asks him, why have you beaten me these three times? And why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path, your way is a reckless one before me. Christ had come to oppose Balaam because he's on a path toward destruction. It was a gracious thing because God didn't want to fight against him. He wanted to fight for him. Back in Joshua, God gives victory to Israel over the kings that had come against the Gibeonites. And then look at what he says, verse 25 of chapter 10. Joshua said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. That sounds like the same message, doesn't it? And you find it repeatedly. Why did they need it again? Because you get discouraged in life where the battle is really fought. And you get one victory, but you got to now go back into the battle, and God says, okay, that's the way it was. I gave you victory. I want to give you future victory. There is something repeated in this section, and this is a real important time in the service (laughs) to not fall asleep. I'm just encouraging. I'm not saying somebody's falling asleep. I didn't say that, but you don't want to miss this. It's good, not because I'm teaching it, because it's the Word of God, and you got to see this. You just got to see this. It was so fresh for me. Chapter 10, and we're just going to highlight a few verses here. Chapter 10, verse 28. That day Joshua took Makeda. He put the city and its king to the sword and totally destroyed everyone in it. Verse 29, then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Makeda to Libna and attacked it. The Lord also gave that city and its king into Israel's hand. The city and everyone in it, Joshua put to the sword. Verse 32, the Lord handed Lachish over to Israel and Joshua took it on the second day. The city and everyone in it, he put to the sword. Verse 34, Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved from Lachish to Eglon. They took positions against it and attacked it. They captured uh, captured it that same day and put it to the sword. Verse 37, they took that city and put it to the sword. Verse 38, then Joshua and all Israel with him turned around and attacked Deber. They took the city, its king and its villages, and put them to the sword. Whenever you see some phrase repeated again and again and again and again, please take note of it. They won in every place they fought and in every battle with a sword. 
Though our time in the book of Joshua has come to a conclusion for the day on the living word, it doesn't mean you need to pause your time with the Lord. We encourage our listeners to continue studying, whether in the book of Joshua or another part of Scripture, and He wants to speak to you through His Word. We pray you find exciting and encouraging words as you peruse the Bible today, and that God touches your soul and strengthens your faith. Thanks for being part of our valued listening audience here on The Living Word. We'd like to take a moment and ask you to consider partnering with us as we continue to share the hope of salvation with the world. Would you join us in praying for the listeners of The Living Word? Pray that God would touch each person with His love and open up their hearts to the truth of His Word. Please pray also for us. We want to continue following God's plans for this program, no matter where He asks us to go. We know the power of prayer, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Would you also ask the Lord about contributing financially to The Living Word? This program is professionally produced to provide the best quality possible, and that does incur some costs. If you feel led to give, visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under Forms. That website again is ccfstpete.church. Any amount is useful and appreciated. Thank you for praying about this, and thank you for tuning in today. Join Pastor Danny next time for another edition of The Living Word.